Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Nineteen seventy-six, in New York's Little Italy, a stranger had arrived to the city's mafia scene. Donnie Brasco was a Sicilian low-level jewelry thief who frequented bars around the area. Donnie eventually caught the attention of Benjamin Lefty Ruggiero, a soldier for the infamous Bonanno crime family. Ruggiero went on to take Donnie under his wing, teaching him the Bonanno way of life. After spending years with some of the most influential members of the Bonanno regime, Donnie was invited to become a made man within the family, a membership that would be sponsored by none other than Lefty himself. However, unbeknownst to the Bonanno family, Donnie Brasco was living a double life. His true identity was Joe Pistone, a man now revered for one of the most dangerous and successful undercover missions in FBI history. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Joe Pistone entered the FBI in 1969 and became a pioneer in the Bureau's undercover missions. His infamous infiltration of the Bonanno crime family was an assignment which lasted six years. His commitment to gathering evidence and intelligence for the FBI was unmatched. Each day Joe spent undercover, he risked his life doing so. If recognized by the wrong person, if a recording device was found, if a mistake in his story was detected, Joe would have been killed. In 1981, the Bureau ended his undercover work before he could become a made man, as entry into the family would have required Joe to conduct a hit. Ultimately, the operation led to the convictions of over 100 Mafia members. The mission was made even more famous when Pistone's story was adapted into the 1997 movie Donnie Brasco, starring Johnny Depp as Pistone. Today, former FBI agent and law enforcement legend Joe Pistone joins me to share his story of being Donnie Brasco. It's such an honor to have you here today, Joe. You know, the, the evidence collected by your undercover work led to over 200 indictments, over 100 convictions of mafia members. And there really was a wide ripple effect as well of your impact into uh, the FBI in general and undercover work in general, as well as the entertainment industry. So I can't personally think of another federal agent who has had a wider, broader impact on not only criminal justice and the way that the mafia works, but also the way that our society views it 
both from a structural and Hollywood standpoint. So I, I want to thank you for your service and sure. for this incredible impact that you've had. Can you Perfect. share a little bit about it, about how you got into it and, and about sort of the X's and O's about those original days? Yeah. And uh, we actually had o- over 200 convictions with all the trials. So uh, I just wanted to let that, you know, be known. And uh, I, I joined the FBI in 1969 under Mr. Hoover. Uh, I'm a very proud special agent that served under Mr. Hoover. And uh, being a kid from Patterson, New Jersey, you know, I, I mean, I was just basically, a, you know, grew up on the streets. When I say that, I mean, you know, not with a silver spoon in my mouth. And uh, so... Upon joining the FBI, I was in naval intelligence, uh, and uh, I had what they call, you know, a lot of street smarts. And to be a good undercover agent, that's that's one of the main aspects of a good undercover agent is having good street smarts. So I was, I wouldn't say a, a, a natural, but at, at an early age into the FBI, I, I start doing uh, undercover work, uh, not not long term because we didn't really have long-term operations during the, uh, during the seven early seventies. And, uh, we had, uh, short term, you know, I would buy stolen art or stocks and bonds and stuff like that. And it was maybe a one or two day deal. And I became proficient at it. And then we started to get into long-term operations. And when I say long-term, I'm, I'm talking maybe a month, two months. We had storefronts across the country buying stolen, uh, stolen goods, stolen articles. And uh, at, at one point in time, I was asked uh, if I would uh, attempt to infiltrate a, a, a car theft ring. And what these individuals were doing, they were operating up and down the East Coast. They actually were operating out of Florida. And uh, what they would do is uh, an individual would come, go to them, and they would order a car. What do you want? I want a Mercedes. What color you want? All the goodies that you wanted in a car. And this ring would go to the car lot and uh, and actually steal it. Well, the, the FBI in, in, in Florida had a case going. They had a, an opportunity to get an undercover agent uh, in, into the operation. and. I was selected, and one of the reasons I was selected was that uh, I could drive a tractor trailer. I, during my uh, college years, I, uh, in the summers, I worked for a trucking company, and I I, I drove an eighteen wheeler uh, between uh, New York City and and the Midwest, anywhere in the Midwest. So that's one of the reasons why I was selected. I was able to infiltrate infiltrate this group and. I worked that for a year and a half, uh, stealing, stealing automobiles. Uh, everybody was reimbursed. All the car lots were reimbursed later on in the operation. But that was how we got into, I uh, got into the long-term operations as far as uh, over six months. It was a year and a half. Uh, and I felt comfortable in these operations, again, because uh, I grew up in an all-Italian neighborhood and uh, – there were, you know, social clubs in the neighborhood, a couple social clubs. There were, you know, wise guys in the neighborhood. So when you grow up in a neighborhood, you know who the wise guys are. You know who the gangsters are. 
uh, you don't interact with them. You know, you're a kid growing up and everybody in the neighborhood knows, knows who's who. In fact, I tell the story, my first, uh, when I went away to the FBI Academy, uh, I went in a, in a suit that I, you know, that I bought off a wise guy that was swag, <laughs> you know, so, but what, you know, look, you, you're growing, you're growing up in the neighborhood and you, you get to know, you get to know what's going on. And I think that's what made me uh, successful. And the same thing on the six year operation, I was comfortable only because again, I, you know, I had no fear of the streets and, uh, I was able to, you know, interact with individuals, interact with these individuals, basically uh, without judging them. And I think in, in in all my years undercover, I think that's what made me successful is I never judged the gangsters. My whole mindset was you're a gangster and you were a gangster before I got here. You're going to be a gangster when I'm here and you're going to be a gangster when you go to jail and when you get out of jail, that's not my problem. I'm not a social worker. I'm not here to reform you. And I think that's why I was successful because that didn't come out in me, in my reaction and interaction toward uh, any of the criminals that I attempted to infiltrate. And I think that's one of the reasons why I I was successful in infiltrating the, uh, the mafia. And focusing on that operation for a moment, Sun Apple, the infamous Donnie Brasco operation that, you know, the world around knows. Um, So you volunteered to infiltrate the Bonanno crime family and you started um, with the Colombo family, actually. And it sort of took about six months to get into and to infiltrate then the Bonanno crime family. And Originally, the FBI anticipated this being about a six-month operation. And as you just said, it turned into several years. So can you talk about for us and share, at what point did you realize that this would be so much longer? And at what point did you um, appreciate the investment, the long-time investment and the life that that really you are subsuming within this operation? Yes. Uh, most, well, all undercover operations are basically... At least they were funded on six month increments, and then if you're if you're making progress, they refund it. If you're not making progress, they disband uh, the operation. I was lucky in that I was working out of New York City, the New York uh, New York office of the FBI, and uh, New York office of the FBI at the time kind of <laughs> kind of operated independently from FBI headquarters. So that was that was one strike in my favor. And uh, I also worked for an old time New Yorker. When I say old time, you know, I mean, it's a born and raised New Yorker, had worked in New York for years. So I did, you know, and, and, and we went into this operation without any contacts. And what I mean by that is uh, we had nobody introduce me to anybody. The, the premise was we knew it bars and restaurants that these individuals hung out in. And uh, the idea was for me to just get my face seen, get known, and hopefully integrate this way. Uh, After the first six months, I basically had no, I mean, I I knew people, you know, just from listening to conversations, but I I really made made no, uh, no inroads. 
And then I finally uh, was able to uh, get in conversation with a bartender who actually, it was in a, uh, a restaurant bar in the upper, upper uh, east side of New York. And after becoming friendly with him, it took several several weeks to you know to get in any conversation with him. Uh, I started going out to after hours joints uh, when he closed up the gambling houses, uh, after hours gambling houses that were run by the mafia, and uh, he finally introduced me to individuals and and w- one of them was a Colombo guy out out of uh, Brooklyn. And uh, so I first started hanging out with the Columbos in Brooklyn, became involved with them for several months. And then uh, I had a problem with with two individuals that were in his crew where I got into a physical confrontation with them. And uh, I knew that I couldn't I couldn't go back there because this physical confrontation would have would have escalated. Uh, And there's there's a lot of backstory to it, which would uh, take too long to explain, but it it was a personality conflict. And uh, so I I just told this individual that, you know, I don't think I, I should be coming out here anymore. And he understood. Uh, but I had also met some Bonanno uh, individuals at this, uh, this after hour gambling joint. And uh, one of the individuals was a person by the name of Tony Mira, who was a Bonanno a uh, main guy in the Bonanno family who had just recently been released from prison. He was a major drug dealer. So I started hanging out with him and he actually started to introduce me into, uh, into the Bonanno family individuals. He eventually went back to jail. And uh, one of the individuals who I met was an individual named uh, Lefty Ruggiero. So when Tony Mira went back to jail, I started hanging out with the, uh, with Lefty and uh, became pretty entrenched, pretty entrenched in the Bonanno family. And I, I became so trusted by the Bonanos that I was able to, uh, uh, the, FBI, the FBI had two different, two other undercover operations going on, one in Florida and one out in Milwaukee. And uh, I became so, uh, like I say, trusted by the Bonanos that over the course of several months, uh, I was able to marry up the Bonanos with the family in Milwaukee and also with the family in Florida to conduct illegal activities. So that's how uh, trusted I, I became, a trusted individual in the, in the Bonanno family. During this time, when I first, when I first uh, got into the Bonanos, Carmine Galenti was was the boss of the family. There was a, a beef going on. Uh, they killed Carmine Galenti. And uh, I was actually with Ruggiero at that time, close to Ruggiero. And uh, we were under a capo by name of Mike Sabella. After they killed uh, Galenti, when I say they, I'm talking about the, the, the administration of the family. They moved uh, myself and Ruggiero out to Brooklyn uh, under a, a new capo by name of Sonny Black Napolitano. And I became very close and tight with Sonny Black Napolitano. And uh, that's, how I, that's how I got 
to marry up the uh, Bananos with uh, Santo Traficante out of Florida. And I became, like I said, I became so trusted by the Bananos that uh, I was actually proposed for membership in the family. But there was a war going on in, in the Bonanno family for takeover of the family. The new boss was a fellow by the name of Russ Ristelli, who was actually in, in jail at the time. And it was a faction of the, of the Bonanos that weren't on the side of, Ristel, of Rusty. So, again, there was a war going on. And uh, the side I was on, which was with Sonny Black, and another fellow by name, another capo by name of Joey Messina, they killed the three capos that wanted to, to, to take over the family. I had been given a contract to kill one of the individuals that didn't show. Four guys actually were supposed to show it at, at a meeting. One of them didn't show, and Sonny Black gave me the contract to kill him. And that's basically started the end of the operation uh, because I had a contract to kill somebody. And uh, and there was a shooting war going on now with within the family. So uh, I was due to become a made guy, be inducted into the Bananos in December. But uh, the FBI pulled the operation uh, July 27th. So basically, you know, I mean, it's that's condensing this story. But, you know, a lot went on in six years. So I was with them. Uh, the whole operation was a six-year operation, uh, and it was basically the downfall of the mafia as we know it uh, as we know it today. Because uh, that operation, all the all the you know the law enforcement, FBI individuals that were involved in that operation, we helped bring down the you know the mafia as it was. Because back in the day. The mafia controlled everything that moved in the United States, and nothing moved without without them getting a piece of getting a piece of it. Uh, and again, our operation was able to snowball and uh, and make all these cases uh, against not only the Bananos but all the other mafia families. And uh, be it from New York, you know, you know, we were able to. Uh, uh, indict all the bosses in New York, which was the commission case, and uh, convict the bosses of, of, of the five major families. So uh, basically, again, you know, that was the that that was the, the hub of, of all these uh, prosecutions of, of the mafia. And can we focus in for a moment on the end of that operation, which, as you said, you know, essentially your superiors sort of made the call to pull. You were set to be a made man coming up uh, less than six months later, and they felt that the operation was becoming too dangerous. So obviously it was enormously successful in the as far as the legal system is concerned and as far as, as you said, the end of the mafias as we knew it at that point. But for you. Was it a difficult transition? Was it an abrupt ending? And how did you handle that transition emotionally? Did you did you argue with your superiors over them pulling the plug? Well, yeah. When 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 I was told that uh, they were going to shut it down, of course I argued against it, only because I know I would I knew I was going to get in, inducted in December, and my argument was, look, you know, we're in the six years. And look what we're going to do to them. But can you imagine 
if it, you know, once I get inducted and it, it comes out that the mafia inducted a, a, an undercover FBI agent in, into its ranks, what that would do to, uh, to the organization. But they were more concerned about, you know, I guess about my safety since, since, uh, there still was a war going on. Uh, as far as transitioning back, I, I had no problem because in, in all my under, you know, all my undercover operations, again, my whole mindset was, look, this is just another investigation. Uh, it just so happens that it's an undercover investigation. And once it's over, it's over. Uh, in fact, I never, all the undercover operations I ever did, I never put the handcuffs on anybody that I, that I worked against because to me, uh, I did my job. I infiltrated. I got the uh, the evidentiary value that the evidence that we needed for court, and I'm gone. You know, onto another case. Uh, so I didn't have that mindset that uh, a lot of guys. What they do is that they fall in love with with being an undercover agent. I never fell in love with being an undercover agent. To me, it was just another form of of investigation. Uh, and once that investigation was over, I move on to another case. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to believe that, uh, that I didn't have a hard time. And I, I think another reason being is that I knew the life again, like I mentioned previously, I grew up in that, in that type of environment. I grew up in an all Italian neighborhood. I knew wise guys. So it, it, it wasn't like I came from, and no disrespect to Tupelo, Mississippi, but it's not like I, I came from Tupelo, Mississippi and dropped in, in the heart of Manhattan, you know, and, uh, and didn't know what was going on as far as with gangsters. So I think that was, that was one of the reasons why I, I didn't have a big, a big problem transitioning out of, out of the six years. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Given that, you know, much has been made, as we know, movies and books on your time as Donnie Brasco. So given that, however, what you just said to you, it's six years within a huge, impactful career. Do you look at all of your chapters and all of your identities equally then? Do you feel or do you see this as a very special chapter in your storied career? Well, I think I think the best chapter of my career is that uh, I still have kept all my values, you know, all my my moral values. I even, you know, during the course of, of my undercover, I, I continue to go to church, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I maintained uh, I, I just maintained my my moral compass. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, after I got out, I did, I, I helped create the, the uh, undercover program for the FBI. And uh, 
counseled undercover agents in, in, in a division of the FBI that, uh, that takes care of undercover agents. So I, you know, I saw why, you know, some, some individuals have a hard time coming back and trans transitioning back. But I, I never, I never lost that because I, I, I never, I, I think that I, again, I never lost my moral compass. I, I, I always knew who I was and I didn't go undercover. I wasn't running away from anything. I wasn't running away from a family situation. I wasn't running away from a, a, a bad work situation. I was doing it because I was good at it. Uh, and I don't mean, you know, I don't mean that in a, in a, a bragging way, but, uh, like, you know, I couldn't work accounting cases, <laughs> you know, uh, but I was good at, at working undercover. And, uh, but again, I thought, I just thought of it as another form of investigation. And that's why I didn't have any problem transitioning back out of undercover work. Uh, you know, after that, I did undercover work overseas. I taught at Quantico. I was an instructor at Quantico in the undercover undercover field, and I didn't miss it. I didn't miss working undercover, uh, not one bit. It, it wasn't like I, you know, uh, I need another I need another undercover gig. Uh, you know, that, that that just wasn't my mindset. So during that time, as Donnie Brasco, when you were undercover, and you said you maintained your values, you went to church every Sunday. Can you walk us through a couple notable days? Were there close calls days, even though, of course, as you said, you were you were a trusted, valued member? Um, were there high excitement days? Were there, you know, high speed chase days? What days stand out to you when you were undercover? Well, I wasn't involved in any high high speed chases working undercover, but you know, I go back to Tony Mirror. Tony Mirror eventually got released from jail, and uh, he once once he got out of jail. He and I had a, a, a hate relationship, mostly on his part, because he thought that I was making a ton of money for the Bananos. And uh, his theory was, since he brought me around initially to the Bananos, that uh, he should become involved in uh, getting a piece of this money. Well, it didn't happen that way. so. He actually, uh, what they call it, he put in beefs against me saying that I stole money from the family, that I stole, uh, in, in, in one deal, I stole $250,000 from the family. Hmm. And that's a, that's a no-no, and that'll get you killed. So they, they had what they call sit-downs. And what a sit-down is, is uh, it's, a, <laughs> for lack of a better word, it's like a, it's a trial. The individual that's the accused brings his witnesses and the accuser brings their witnesses and they present him to uh, an arbitrator and uh, the arbitrator makes the decision after hearing both sides. And if the accused loses in that situation, the uh, the penalty is, is death, they'll kill you. And uh, I was lucky enough that... Uh, all three of these sit-downs, Sonny Black, who was my representative, won the sit-downs. So, you know, you're waiting to hear whether whether it's a 
whether it's a it it's an up or down vote. And if it comes out, you know, if they come out and you tell you you lost, well, you know, you're going to die, you, you know, and and uh, there's there's no appeals. You know, there's no appeals court. You know, <laughs> if you lose a sit down in this case, because stealing money from the family is it a crime that that'll get you killed. It's you know punishable by if they want to if they want to kill you. Uh, and and this Tony Mirror wanted he wanted me dead. Uh, so that happened to me three times. Yeah. And were you frightened? Did you feel protected by the federal government at all times? Or did you feel that a measure of vulnerability? Because, I mean, I just hearing that <laughs> makes my heart beat faster. I can imagine what it's like to have subsumed this identity where the stakes are truly, yeah. truly life or death. How did that feel for you? Well, I wasn't protected by the government because the government wasn't there, you know, yeah. uh, at, at these, you know, these sit downs. I mean, and, and majority of the time, you know, 99% of the time I had no surveillance. If that's what you're, if that's what you're, you know, uh, yeah. referring back to, I mean, I was on my own. I was out there by myself with the bad guys. And that's one of the things I try to impress upon, uh, uh, young undercovers, because I do a lot of uh, undercover schools, for young undercovers, is that nobody saves your life but yourself. <laughs> you, you know, it's all action versus reaction. Right. And the action is when they kill you. And the reaction is when your SWAT team comes in to clean up the mess. Oh. Uh, so, you know, uh, you, you have to take it as it is. I mean, you go into the situation and you know, you know what the consequences are going to be. And you're always thinking, how am I going to get out of it? And then, you know, in a situation like that, you got to do a lot of talking, you know, but again, you know, I was fortunate enough that Sonny Black won the sit downs. So I didn't have to, you know, do any, any verbal communications and a physical confrontation in, in that situation is not going to do you any good because you're outnumbered. So on that note, you know, much has been made. Hollywood has frankly glorified the mafia lifestyle or perhaps the former mafia lifestyle. You know, you mentioned that it was sort of the end of an era, um, thanks to your amazing investigative and work and evidence collection. So sort of dovetailing that, do you find with young undercover agents that that role has been glorified too? Do you find that as a teacher, um, in that way, you know, in instructor, mentor in that way, that part of it is injecting reality into both into look, here's here's organized crime and it's not enjoyable. And also here's undercover work and it's incredibly rewarding and fulfilling. But yes, it's also frightening. There are high stakes. There's action versus reaction and death is potentially imminent. Do you find yourself presenting that to these young folks? Yes, I do. You're, you're, you're right on point. Uh the problem is with with uh, with younger agents. And when I say agents, I'm talking about police officers too. You know, I'm talking about anybody in law enforcement. Is they watch too much television. <laughs> I mean, they believe these police shows. You know, and they they all want to. You know, it's like you know, I want to do the undercover stuff like you did. You know, and then what I point out with them is, all right, you know. A, 
over 90% of former undercover agents are divorced. Mm. Right. My last partner, he's on his fourth wife. (laughs) Why? I don't know, but uh, that's number one. Unless you have a good spouse and that's, you know, either way. uh, And unless they understand why you're doing it, there's going to be friction. And, And number two is it, it can be very stressful because you're going into an environment that is completely foreign to you, which is uh, environment of crime, environment of being around individuals that are violent. Uh, any organized crime group that you attempt to infiltrate are going to be violent. And majority of police officers are not used to that. They're not used to, you know, just violence uh, amongst individuals that supposedly are bound together by by something. So, you know, and, and it's stressful. Your hours, you're, you're working long hours. Uh, you're probably not eating right. You're not sleeping properly. It's not all you see on television, the, you know, and what they see on television is an undercover with a lot of money, flashing a lot of money, maybe a nice car, nice clothes. Well, that might be so in some in some undercover cases, but most undercover cases, it's not flashing a lot of money. You're not eating in the best restaurants. It becomes very stressful. And after two, three days of of sitting there listening to myself and and the two other undercovers that that I have that you know we teach these these schools classes, then they realize that you know it's not all it's cracked up to be. It, it's a lot of work, and then it basically does nothing for your advancement within your department. Just because you're a good undercover does not bode well for advancement within the within any department. So it it hinders that. And and so you you have your family life to strike against you. You have your department. That's a strike against you. You have your long hours working. So you got three strikes before you even start the operation. So I point that out heavily that uh, if you haven't done it, if this is your first, you might want to rethink it because it's not all that glamorous. It's not all that glamorous. And on that note, what about the mafia? What misconceptions do you feel are held or what what glorifications are embraced about the real life of the mafia? Yeah, the, the average mafia guy is not swimming in cash. Uh, every day is a struggle to make money. <laughs> and if, if you're actually in the life, you have to be making money because Everything flows uphill. So if you're an associate, you have to make money to give to, to your maid guy. If you're a maid and a maid guy, is somebody that's been officially inducted in, into the mafia. And then if you're a soldier and a soldier is a maid guy, you have to kick up to your captain. And then the captain has to kick up to the boss. Everything flows uphill. Uh, so you're always out there struggling. And then, what always got me is that you wake up every morning 
And I mean, I, I noticed because I lived with these guys. I mean, I used to stay at their house and you wake up every morning and it's like, well, is today the day I go to jail or is it today the day I get whacked? Is today I get killed? Mm. Because everybody breaks rules. The mafia has certain rules, but they're always broken. And that's what gets you killed is breaking breaking certain rules. So it, it's like I say, and what you see on television, if you, you know, you see mob movies, you see these, everybody's walking around in $5,000 suits. Well, that's not true. Uh, you see their social clubs, they're like palatial offices. That's not true. They're normally candy stores that, you know, uh, a storefront that was normally a candy store. So it, it, it yeah, they might be driving around in a nice car, but it's not theirs, you know. So it, it's not, again, it's not a glamorous life because you're always out there hustling. You have to hustle every day to make a dime, to make a dollar. So, and I bet some of these guys, if they put the effort into being legitimate, they would have been millionaires with no problem. <laughs> Just, you know, for all the effort they put into, into hustling money, if they put that effort into legitimate businesses, they, they, they become millionaires and not worry about going to jail. And how has the mafia changed? We said it was the end of an era. You know, everything that you just described where it's essentially not as illustrious, it's not as shiny as many people think it is. It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of sort of the, the dirty underbelly. So um, how has that changed now? What is the mafia of 2023 or organized crime of 2023 or this present day look like in contrast to when you were embedded? Well, when, when I was with them, and like I've mentioned previously, they controlled everything. They controlled the major the major unions. Uh, they controlled every piece of goods that moved in the country. They got a piece of it. They controlled. Uh, when I say controlled, they had uh, uh, politicians in their pocket. They had judges in their pocket. They had law enforcement in their pocket. Uh, they don't have that today. They don't control the the major unions anymore. Uh, you know, they may have a, a local here or there that they control, but they don't control the major, the headquarters of, of say, the Teamsters. They don't control it anymore, that. They don't control politicians like they used to, and and that they don't control law enforcement like they used to, or judges like they used to. Uh, so now, to you know, uh, and, and I still I still have conversations with, with some mob guys, and today they're, you know, they're just another organized crime operation in, in the country. I mean, I, I, I'd be more, I'd be more afraid of, uh, of the Albanians or the Russians. And at one time, the Albanians and the Russians deferred to the Italian mafia and that not anymore. They don't, they don't anymore. So, Although they're, you know, look, you're never going to wipe them out because there's always going to be people that that, uh, you know, don't want that, don't want that uh, eight to five job or whatever, and you know, they enjoy being gangsters, but they'll never come back like they used to. You know, at one time they owned, like, say, Las Vegas. They don't own Las Vegas anymore. You know, as far as the skimming from the casinos, 
they're, you know, they're still involved in, in, in narcotics. They're still involved in credit card scams, but they don't control the country like they once did. They're just another organized crime group. Stay with us. More of the Fox True Crime podcast after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a final question, Joe, again, your legacy is so incredible. I'm I'm such an honor to have you share your experiences with us today. What final message do you have um, for the community now, either about that time then or now? What final thoughts do you have? Well, I... I, I think that uh, we're living in such a complicated situation, Emily. I mean, uh, I don't know, you know, how much you can trust the government. I mean, who do you trust now? I mean, every time you turn around, somebody else is lying to you. <laughs> yeah, I think you just have to uh, to stick, you know, individuals have to stick with their moral compass and uh, be be a thinker. You know, think things out on your own. Don't take everything as gospel because, you know, somebody of higher authority tells you that that is true. I got a lot of thoughts on that, but I don't know that we want to we want to get into them right here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally understand. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, the you know, because of such incredible entertainment that has been written and imagined around your incredible career of service. Frankly, we have a sort of or many have a certain perception of you. And the reality is that you are a human, a patriot, someone who has served his country for decades, and you have your own thoughts. So it's important to hear your mindset and your perspective now, because that's the authentic Joe Pistone. There's no Donnie Brasco. You know, that was fiction. This is nonfiction today. Right. Uh, You know, and you can't be afraid to say what's, what's in your heart. You know, and I think that's that's one of the problems today is, you know, people are afraid of being canceled, you know, and they they won't say what what their true beliefs are and what's in their heart. So uh, you got to be true to yourself and you, you have to you have to say what what you believe and 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 not only say it, but perform it, you know. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us today for your incredible service, for the impact you've had on law enforcement in this country and criminal justice and um, in the mafia you helped take down. And as you said, spur the end of an era through your incredible evidence collection. And as you said, it was just investigating to you, but to us, it really was hero's work. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the time and uh, God bless you. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.